Let me just say, we're living in a really uh, different time spiritually as well. Um, God is beginning to uh, crank it up a notch, so to speak, uh, spiritually. And, and there really is, th- these are revival times. Revival is not what you think it is. Revival is a deep moving of the Spirit of God that affects your heart. How many hear me? And, and it'll make you seek, uh, search, seek until you find. And sometimes it makes you feel miserable before you get better because you got to deal with you. So just understand it's a different kind of time we're living in. And having said that, as a pastor, I'm praying and seeking God about our services and such. But, um, um, but I stand up here many times. I mean, I, I tell you the truth. I, I could actually, you know, it, it, it's so strong that you could take any topic and just go with it. That's how it feels. The presence of Jesus is strong. And, and we're going to have people being healed and set free and ministered to in all kinds of ways in our services. How many are ready for that? So I want you, before, let me encourage you in this time, before you come to church, pray and ask God to do something in somebody. Ask him to minister life to the people around you. Ask him for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself. If you'll do that, how many know if you'll do that collectively, God will see this congregation and say, well, look at there. There's some people that will let me do what I want to do. How many know he wants every pastor, every local church to just be an oasis and a lighthouse in this really strange day? How many hear me? So I believe we are here at Victory, and we're glad you're with us today. Uh, this is hopefully, maybe, the last time I speak on this subject. I plan to do one Sunday, and here we are at the very end of February. Uh, directives for 2021. I used to put a number on it, but I left the number behind a long time ago. You know, it was four directives, five directives, six. We're on number six today. Uh, I just want to share some things I think of great importance. Uh, If you haven't heard what I said in this series prior, it's all on the website. Our notes are available. If you go to victorychurchraleigh.com, you can see the things I put down in note form there, and you can follow me. Uh, Don't always share all of that, but it's there. Uh, The first five points I've mentioned prior to now, number one, this year you can weather any storm or test when you align your thoughts, values, and lifestyle with God and his word. How many know this is a time to align yourself with the word of God? The only thing stable in life is the word. I used to be an unstable person when the word got in me. It really did something. It'll change your life. And you'll be building your life on, like Jesus said in Matthew 7, on, on stone and not sand. So when the storms of life come, you'll be able to endure. Is that good news? Now, secondly, I said this year you're going to have to choose whether you stay home or whether you come and help us promote the kingdom of God and train new Christ followers. Yeah, how many know this? How many know it's decision time? If, you haven't, if you're watching online, you haven't come back to church, it's time to come back. Yes or no? I mean, it's time, y'all. You know, let me say this. Um, <clears throat> when I was in my teens, at late teens, I read something that said, you know, it takes about three or four weeks to begin to form a new habit. And I had all kind of habits I wanted to change, obviously, as a young person. And, and so, but I've, I've been, I think about that a lot. And all through my adult life, I thought about that. Well, well, you know, guess what? This past year, you have created habits. Yes or no? So what kind of habits have you created? So, you know, this year, we could create a habit of just being satisfied, kind of staying to ourselves, not really fellowshipping with a lot of people. God wants us to break those habits. Yes or no? That went over big. Number three, get ready for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that in great detail. I just mentioned that. Uh, A lot to say about that. Number four, prepare for persecution. A lot of people think the presence of God is hip, hip, hooray. Often the presence of God in your life will actually attract 
persecution because it brings up the darkness in the people around you. That's why Jesus was attacked constantly because the religious people didn't like him. And then the people that uh, were challenged by what he said didn't like him. And you know, sometimes you just showing up. People don't like you and you can't figure out. Why do you got the edge on them? I, 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 I washed today. I shaved. I mean, you know, I, I put, you know, if you're a woman, I put my makeup on. I got my perfume. What's going on? People just got this edge. Lots of times that edge is the presence in you. Brings persecution. Number five, we talked about that. Number five, the Holy Spirit manifests in unity, not in isolation. Unity is not uniformity. So you need to go back and hear that one. But today, this is hopefully the last. Today I want to talk about, this is a year and from here until Jesus comes back. Our focus should be reaching out to others. Don't hold back and lock down. You know, wake up and reach out. That's the, that's, that's the focal point right now. You know, um, I've come across through my life in the Lord, and I've been walking with Jesus. I'm into my 45th year. And every once in a while, I come across a believer and say, well, I'm just not happy, just not satisfied. And you know what that tells me about that person? They have lost their focus. If you're depressed, agitated, unsatisfied, you have lost your spiritual focus. One reason that Jesus leaves us on terra firma, planet earth, after we're saved is to, is to lead people to him. And if I don't have the focus of reaching to others, if you reach inward, you always lose. When you reach out, you always win. I mean, hear what I'm saying? So again, we're living in a time that God is really passionate about people. He's passionate about people being saved from their sins. People don't even know what sin is today. It's a sad day in America. <clears throat> again, this past year, I'm going to say this now, this past year, listen, we've become so focused on saving ourselves from a virus that we've lost sight of the command of Jesus himself to the church before he left. You can be so self-focused, you forget what God left you here for. And that's, that's what's happened this past year. You know, it set some paradigms that, y'all, it's time to change them right now. And I feel the passion of Jesus saying to us, he didn't say to us, stay home and hunker down. He said, occupy till I come. And the last words he gave his disciples before he ascended to heaven is go. He didn't say stay home, he said go. Go into all the world, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Pre-corona, the stats were about 53%. I think that's probably much larger now. Pre-coronavirus, that's pre-2020. The stats say 50%, 3% of our community will not go to church. That is, they're unchurched. They're, they don't know the Lord. They're not walking with God. 53%. And I think those stats may be even higher now. That is, these people are not Christ followers. They're not believers. They're not Christians. You know, years and years ago, I've been in ministry since 1981, and people would talk about America being a Christian nation. Right now, we are a post-Christian nation. Why? We've left the foundations. We've left the absolutes that made us a really great people, and, that, uh, and, and, and we've been influential worldwide because of, the, because of the moral absolutes that made us what we are. We've left our moorings. And now we're just kind of wandering. We're a post-Christian uh, post culture. And, and so, uh, again, uh, not just this past year, but for the last number of years, the church has lost its evangel evangelical edge, it, its evangelistic thrust. And, y'all, how many know it's time to get it back? 
Let me say this. For some believers, uh, church is a place to uh, go or now you stay at home and just watch it in your comfies on your couch, you know, drinking a cup of your favorite beverage. And uh, for some Christians, church has become a place to go again, listen at home, and listen with no commitment to do anything. Instead of a place to go where I can grow, be challenged, be sharpened so I can win my world for Jesus. Yes or no? Again, let me say it again. God leaves you on earth after salvation. The reason he leaves us here so we can, be, we can be salt, we can be light, we can influence another life for Jesus. It's a really, uh, how many know God loves people? So, so in this unusual time, now this is a strange time we're living in. I've said this many times on Sunday mornings. We're in the time in between. We're in between the age of grace where, where that's, that happened. When the age of grace started when Jesus was raised from the dead, the church age we call it. It's coming to a, an amazing close right now where we're going into an, an age of judgment. What does that mean? Well, well, all of the wrongs are going to be right, righted. All of the injustices, uh, God's coming after them. Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. That's what the Bible says. I'm teaching on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. Not this coming Wednesday, this praise and worship time, but the following we will come back to Revelation 16. It is a time of judgment. When Jesus comes back, it will be typified by serious, serious judgment. And God is passionate about before Jesus comes back. He's passionate about people coming to him and being saved from their sins and going to heaven. How many believe that? 2 Peter 3, let me read this. This is verses 3 through 9, the Passion Translation. Really good, and it bears the point home well. Above all, you must understand in the last days, mockers will multiply, chasing after their evil desires. Now, what is that saying right there? saying in the last days, the days we're living in, people will feel empowered to do what they want to do without you saying anything about it. And if you do, they will mock you. Now, that's, that's law. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, and he said the time would be typified by lawlessness. Lawlessness means anything goes. There are no moral absolutes. There is no right and wrong. It's just right and wrong to you. We're living there now. So he says they will say, so what about this promise of his coming? Our ancestors are dead, buried, yet everything is still the same as it was since from the beginning of time until now. But they conveniently overlook that from the beginning, the heavens and earth were created by God's word. He spoke, the dry ground separated from the waters. Let's talk about Genesis 1. Then long afterwards, he destroyed the world with a tremendous flood by those very waters. Talking about the flood of Noah. And now by the same powerful word, the heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for judgment day when all the ungodly will perish. Now, you know, I've been again teaching through the book of Revelation. It's, it's eerie and it's kind of scary. The good news is, for a large portion of that book, believers will be in heaven after being raptured. But it looks like meteorites hit the earth, changed the environment, changed the water, uh, changed, changed the entire environment, and it's a hellish time. Nobody wants to be there here during that time. How many hear what I'm saying? So you've got co-workers, we've got family, we've got friends, we've got people that we've known all of our lives that don't know the Lord. If they don't know Jesus, they're going to have to walk through this hellacious time. Uh, it's, it's, it's estimated that over, over 2 to 3 billion people will die because of the catastrophic, 
catastrophic events that will occur during this time of judgment that is in the future. And that's what he said here by now the same powerful word, the heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for judgment when all the ungodly will perish. So dear friends, don't let this one thing escape your notice. A single day counts like a thousand years to the Lord Yahweh. And a thousand years counts as one day. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you. Is that good? Because he does not want any to perish, but all come to repentance. So every day that Jesus doesn't come back, it's another grace day for someone to come to Jesus. It's another day. It's another opportunity. Every day you wake up and, and Jesus hasn't returned, you know what it should be saying to me and you? This is the day for you to share me with people. Because I'm all about these people that don't know me. I don't want them to face the judgments that are to come. The judgments of the for, are, are, for, are really for my arch enemy Satan and the fallen angels and the demonic forces. They're not for people. I love people. I don't want them to be judged. But if they follow, they follow the, the ways that the enemy wants them to, they'll perish. But I don't want them to. What is God's greatest desire? Think about it. What, 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 is, uh, what does he long for more than anything? I want to show you. John three sixteen. For this is how God so loved the world. He gave his own, only, one and only son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish. But have eternal life. Verse 17. God sent his son into the world. Not to, be, not to judge the world. But to save the world through him. Let me ask you a, a, a simple question. Everybody look, look at me. Do you really think, come on now, this is America. Do you really think that if people don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to go to hell for eternity? Huh? Next question. How many of those people you know are you praying for every day? Next question. When God gives you an opportunity. How many of those people have you talked to about him? Say, that's God's heart. You know, God sees everything at all times. He lives outside of the universe he created. He transcends everything. He can see heaven, and he can look into the human heart. And God can also see into hell. And in the flames of hell right now, there are people that he loves, and he couldn't keep them from going there. Because they had a human will that he would not defy. How many hear me? Luke 15, listen to this. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Here's Jesus, uh, tax collectors, other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So let me just say this. If you're the kind of person that's, that tells a person they got to act this way, do this, if they're going to get right with God, you are a religious person. If you feel like you got to come to church dressed a certain way, act a certain way, put on your Elizabethan English, you is a religious person, and nobody wants what you were offer, are offering. Yes or no? So Jesus told the story. 
If a man has a hundred sheep, and of course, you know, they're agrarians. A lot of them had sheep. If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them gets lost. Often a man would have a hundred sheep because a community full of people. You got one house that's got three, another that got four sheep, another household's got two sheep, five sheep. They all got to go to a pasture. They don't have a pasture in the yard. So one guy, shepherd, says, okay, I'm sheep man today. Bring me all your sheepies. Bring me your sheepies. And so he's got a hundred sheep. And so he's got everybody's sheep. And one of them gets lost. Now, somebody's neighbor's sheep is gone. It's not his sheep. He's probably corralled those sheep from a bunch of houses. Doesn't know who it belongs to, but yeah, well, he probably does. So, uh-oh, because he knows them by name. So-and-so sheep is missing. I'm responsible. Jesus said here, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost and, until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Now, boy, that's something. You see how much God is endeared to a person that doesn't know him? God, God, God shows himself by that shepherd. He said, I'm like that shepherd that takes that sheep that was lost. He loves that little dude so much, he puts it all around his shoulders and carries it by its little legs. So that the homeowner, the one that owns that sheep, when he sees that shepherd, he says, look at that, that shepherd. That's a good shepherd. He loves my little sheepy. And you know what? He loves the people that you know. Just the same. Yes or no? When he's founded, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. See, the shepherd loved all of them, but he goes after the one that strayed. Because the one that strays, he could be, he could be eaten by a wolf. He could, a predatory animal could take uh, control of him. Or he could be lost somewhere and starved to death. And see, God is that way about the people that don't know him today. John Maxwell said this, and it really impacted me. I was at a meeting in Birmingham, Alabama a few years ago. Some of the staff team, I think, were there with me. He was talking about evangelism and what he does in leadership training. And here's what he made an impactful statement. He was weeping just about when he said, he said, God loves people I don't know. And he said, God loves people I don't like. Isn't that good? And it really, really affected me. See, those people around us, we just say, why don't you drive right? I mean, I just went to Alabama and come back. People are nuts on the highway. <laughs> and you want to tell them what you think often, you know. But God loves those people. Is that right? Uh, people act out now in uncanny ways. God loves those people. And there's some people you'd just rather not be around. Well, God lo loves those people. Huh? So here's some questions. Am I passionate about what God is passionate about? Here's another question. What do I need to change to open myself up to befriend people that don't know Jesus? What do I need to change? You know, I was thinking about this when I came to Jesus. I was uh, going to school to be an electronics engineer. I was going to college, and I worked in a grocery store. And over, I mean, over a weekend, my life was transformed. And, um, and but an uncanny thing began to happen. I, I didn't mean to. I, I, I didn't know I was doing this, but I'd be on the aisle working, you know, after I went from school, went to uh, work. And I'm working, and people constantly come and say, why are you so happy? I say, what, what are you talking about? Am I happy? Well, look at that smile. You're smiling. What you smiling about? I said, am I, am I smiling? I said, yes, yes. Or, or I'm whistling. Now, my dad, my dad, I got that from my dad. My dad, uh, anytime you ever saw my father, he was doing one of three things. He was singing or humming or whistling. And I do the same thing. So, so uh, just, but when I came to Jesus, you know what happened? 
I started worshiping. I'd, I'd go to church and sing these little choruses and stuff, and I'd find myself, mm, 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 mm. and people say, what you happy about? And, and, you know, it just opened their door. I said, well, I made Jesus Lord a few weeks ago. He changed my life. I was addicted to drugs, and he changed me. You know what? Joy is the biggest advertisement that you have. What are you doing with your joy, right? Do I actively pray and ask for opportunities to be a witness for Jesus every day? See, this, this grabs me. Uh, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, there's a lot of Smith Wigglesworth books out. There are only two that were sanctioned by his ministry. One that he personally authored uh, by some, a stenographer taking down the notes and putting it in book form. But it was said of Smith Wigglesworth, who was an uneducated plumber who died in 1948, who had a worldwide healing ministry and just led many people to Jesus. But uh, when he, before he got into ministry, he was a plumber. And once he came to Jesus, his, his wife worked for the Salvation Army, and she actually may have been instrumental in leading him to the Lord. Nonetheless, on his plumbing business, while he still did his plumbing business, he would get up in the morning. And here's his prayer before he left his house. He said, Lord, lead me to the person closest to hell today. And then you can read about all of the experiences he had of sharing Jesus with people. And he would, he would say, here's what he said he'd do. He'd take his lunch and uh, sit somewhere and just sit there and eat his lunch. And he'd say, God, where's the person you're leading me to today? Because his expectation was to share Jesus on his lunchtime. And he would sit there until God said, it's that one. And every single time, you can read this, you can read this in his book. I think it's in Ever-Increasing Faith. There's another one called Smith Wigglesworth, the Apostle of Faith, written by his son-in-law. Nonetheless, here's what he said. He said every single time God would lead him to someone, and he would just sit there. Sometimes he'd just be quiet, and they said, why'd you come to me? He'd just look at him. He was really an unusual person. But he would just share Jesus with him. And he said, he said many times that person would pray a prayer of salvation right there and, and begin to cry and, and repent because of the things they were involved in. And he said many times, just sometimes a few days, sometimes a few weeks later, they, they passed away. I don't know about you, but that affects me. Do you have a heart to win people? He had a heart to win the people that were closest to hell. Here's another question. Um, do you have a list of people you're praying for daily for their salvation? Do you have a list? Do you have it on you? Do you pray for them throughout the day? If not, form a list of people. I've got a list of people I pray for every day. And I'm asking the Lord to bring them to salvation. Remember this, there's 53% plus of the people in our community that are unchurched, without Christ. And, and you know what? God wants to use you to reach them. So here are five things you can do. Number one, y'all ready for this? Accept your job description from Jesus to help the unchurched become Christ followers. You say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I can tell you what God wants you to do. He wants you to go and be an ambassador. He wants you to be, he wants you to be in his service. He has called you to represent him. How many know an ambassador represents another country? You are representing the kingdom of heaven on your job. You're representing the kingdom of heaven in your family. You're representing the kingdom of heaven at Christmas time, Easter time, Thanksgiving time, 4th of July when your family gets together. You're representing the kingdom of heaven in your community, in your house, with how you keep up your yard, with how you keep up your house, with how you treat your neighbors. Oh, everybody's watching. They might not know you by name, and they might whiz into their uh, garage and put the door down before you can even see them, but they know you. <laughs> how many hear me? Accept your job description. No, God wants nobody 
to go to hell? Will you help God's passion to bring people to Jesus? I hope you're feeling stirred just a little bit. What are you doing to keep people out of hell? That's another question. What am I doing to keep people out of hell? You know, we have more purpose than we realize. Matthew 28, listen to this. Jesus came, told his disciples, everybody here? This is making you think, right? Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Question, is there a person in your life, now you might not call it this or even realize what you're doing, is there someone in your life that you're influencing on a regular basis? influencing to walk with God. See, that's being a discipler. You know, uh, first century, a disciple was a student, a learner, a disciple. Literally, a disciple was a person that came to a person who was like a sage, a really smart person, and they would sit down, and they didn't just listen to what they said, but they studied how they did life. They became a disciple of that person. In fact, uh, uh, Paul sat at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, which was one of the most educated uh, people of Paul's day. And, uh, and to be his disciple, he literally got there with him and watched how he got up in the morning, watched how he, how he commanded himself, watched the way he dressed, watched what he ate, watched how he spoke, watched how he dealt with people. See, that's a person that is a discipler. And, uh, and, and is being disciples. So what person are you discipling? Is there somebody in your life that you're making a profound difference in? If not, ask God to bring a person in your life or, or bring you across someone's life that you can share him with. And that you can make a difference in how they live their life. It's one thing to come to church, open your Bible, listen to me and say that's good preaching. It's quite another thing to go out and live it 24-7. How many hear me? got a lot of people that come to listen but it's not listening that counts it's putting into the practice that counts and it's the putting into practice that really influences another person people see your car coming out that garage they know where you're going on Sunday morning huh but if you cussing out the dog because he, he squatted in your yard kind of lost your witness right they got to do it every day. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, this, this, uh, this is a personal scripture for me. This scripture brought me to the Lord. And I'll tell you how in a minute. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.18. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Talking about salvation is a gift of God. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. How do you reconcile people to God? And this is the, this is the inference here. Verse 19. For God was in Christ. How do you reconcile people to God? For God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. How? No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now y'all got to know, I've got a, I've got a religious background, par none. I mean, I, I, I can remember wearing baby diapers to church. No kidding, sitting in my mother's Sunday school class because I was crying too much to stay in the nursery. I got a strange memory. I can remember drinking a bottle at church. It's strange. But I, so I went to church three times a week and all week long when we had revivals, which means you just go to church every night and sit there and wait for that guy to hurry up and get through. 
So I had a lot of religious experiences as a child. But you know what? A guy come to where I worked, and I'll never forget this guy. His name's Steve, Steve Sanderson. And, uh, you know, very unassuming guy, wore a pair of tennis shoes, a pair of jeans. He had just a little T-shirt on. Had his big old cross, you know, on a chain around his neck. And this is mid-70s. And uh, I don't know why he started talking to me. I, 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 I don't know why. But he said, Mitch, did you know God's not mad at you because of your sin? I said, what are you talking about? I thought he's upset with me. I thought he was upset with me every day because I was, to me, I'm, I'm a big one. I'm a big sinner. He said, no, no, God's not mad at you about your sin. I said, he's not? He said, and he read that scripture to me. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And you know what he said to me? Steve, he said, Mitch, it's not your sin that's keeping you from God. It's your lack of Jesus that's keeping you from God. If you'll come to give your life to Jesus, God will forgive your sin. God's already forgiven your sin. You just need to ask his son to come into your life and change you and forgive you. Isn't that awesome? Y'all, that changed. Nobody, I mean, I've been to church all those years. I was almost 18, y'all. Nobody ever said that to me. And I was so full of guilt and condemnation and the loneliness that brings that when, and I say, wow, really? You mean God likes me? He said, yeah, he loves you. He likes you and loves you. He's already forgiven your sin if you'll just, I said, really? And y'all, the next day, I gave my life to Jesus. He kept it. He said it a few times. I saw him on a Saturday. The next day on a Sunday, September 12th, 1976, I gave my life to Jesus because of that. So embrace Embrace the commission that Jesus has given you. He's given you a job description. My job every day is is to be available as a person that God can use to share Jesus with somebody else. Yes or no? Number two, become friends with people God loves. Remember, he loves people you don't know, and he loves people you don't like. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is is the message paraphrase. I don't think you can say this any better than this. So Eugene Peterson uh, said this uh, with this uh, uh, translation. Actually, paraphrase that I think is really good. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I don't take on their way of life. Now, that's important. I keep Kept, I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't want to just talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Isn't that great? So, you know, um, sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, Hi. What's your name? And just let people talk. You know, Dale, I've told you that book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I try to read it every year. The whole thesis of his book is everybody's always thinking about themselves. So if all you do is talk about you, you are a boring person. No, if you want to be non-boring to someone else, let the other person talk about themselves to you. And you know what? You'll gain a friend. Yes or no? If you want a friend, you got to be a friend. Ask God to help 
You reach the people in your life. When I first came to Jesus again, working in that store, I've said this many times, but I, I was transformed over the weekend. I'm smoking, I'm lusting along with the other guys there in the mid seventies and, and here doing all cussing and all the mess that goes along with, you know, the lifestyle I was living. And, and then, oh, and then Saturday I was in that Sunday. I came to Jesus Monday. I'm back at work and my life was transformed. And you know what? I got, I got haggled by all the guys I worked with because they're all young like me and they're teens and they're going to school. But you know what? Let me tell you what happened. I stayed there uh, four years after I came to the Lord. And then Susan and I moved to go to Bible school after I got married in 1979. But did you know every single one of the guys I worked with, I couldn't believe it happened. In, in one week, the week I left, every single one of them, they, they'd come to the aisle I was working on. And they'd do this, look around, make sure nobody's looking. And they came to me and said, Mitch, I know I hassled you a lot. I picked on you a lot. But you know what? Your life made a huge effect on me. And here's what all of them basically said. You know what they said? Uh, You gave me hope. You gave me hope that I could be different, that I don't have to live the way I've been living, that I really could change because we watched you change. Y'all, I wept. I did not know what to say. And you know, when I think about it, it still makes me weep. Several of those guys came to the Lord after I left that place. It's not that I, it's not that I led them, but my life did something to them. What is your life doing? You just don't realize what it's doing. How many hear me? Um, it was just amazing. You know, I, I, led, I led one of the guys I was working up. Susan, I moved to Oklahoma. One of the guys that I... Um, that I worked with, I led that young man to Jesus right in front of the bailing machine in the back. You know, they bail the cardboard to, to go and have it, uh, you know, take it off. And uh, I led him to Jesus there after sharing with him because he started asking me questions. Why are you so happy? Why are you smiling? I can never smile. What's wrong with you? I said, well, listen, what do you mean what's wrong with me? I just started sharing Jesus, just, you know, sharing who I am. And if you really know Jesus and you share who you are, it has a huge influence. How many hear me? You know, if you're involved in a small group, invite your unchurched friends to your small group. How many know that could be a big deal? And you don't have to act in a certain way. Just be you. If you're a believer, be you. How many know it rubs off on people? Number three, ask God for opportunities to be involved in someone's salvation every day. Be like Smith Wigglesworth. Again, he woke up every day. Lord, lead me to the soul nearest hell. Now, that might not be what God leads you to do. You could just simply say, Lord, lead me across the path of someone that I can share Jesus with today. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8. Now, I share this in the growth track class. I teach the first one. So this is some of the things I share. Apostle Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Then he says, verse 8, the one who plants, the one who waters, works together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Now watch this. So, So the statistics say this, every person that comes to know Jesus has to have, before they even get interested in salvation, They have to have at least seven touches from individual believers. That is, somebody's got at least seven. That's the statistics. Anybody that comes to the Lord now, at least seven times before they even get interested in knowing the Lord. So Paul said some really interesting things here that are very practical. You know, we think of witnessing, well, I got to lead to a person to salvation right then. It just doesn't work that way. See, we're a body, we're a family, and we're the body of Christ 
Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 9, laborers in the harvest. That he's, He sees the world, the people in the world as a harvest field like a farmer would, a crop of wheat. And he's, he calls us the harvesters. So he wants the harvesters to work together. So what happens? One plants, one waters, and then a person comes to the Lord. So again, one plants, one waters, and a person comes to the Lord. So what does it mean to plant? So here's what I want to, your concept of witnessing has got to change. God wants you to be an influence for him all the time. Not a religious influence, not talking King James Version English, not showing people how many scriptures you can quote, but living a life that causes people to ask questions. So here's what I do. Anywhere I am, if I get an opportunity, uh, I, you know, I'll carry on a conversation. Often I, I go out to eat, you know, with people and this and that and the other. Susan and I go out. And, and, or I'm in public in different spots and different places doing business. And I'm carrying on conversations, getting to know someone. Hi, my name is Mitch Horton, blah, blah, blah. And, and carry on conversation in whatever context of relationship it may be. Somebody I probably have never met before. But I like to pe- uh, get to know people, so I'll let them talk about themselves a little bit. If it's a waitress or waiter, I'll let them talk a little bit. But I say, Lord, I'm expecting somewhere in the mix, I'm going to share something about Jesus. And here's what invariably happens. Whether it's at a restaurant or somewhere else, once I've gotten to know a person, I'll say something that has some spiritual content to it. Of some, that might be just a little small thing. Just a small. I usually don't tell people I'm a pastor because they immediately become religious for me. But, I, I, you know, I just share something. And here's what happens. Either the person will say, well, well, yeah, yeah, my so-and-so went to church or whatever, whatever, whatever. But if they immediately change the subject, here's what it tells me. I'm planting a seed. Now think about it. They've got to have a seed planted. Then the seed's got to germinate. Then there are other times I'm talking to somebody and I do the same thing. And I'll say something that has a, 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 some kind of a spiritual tone to it a little bit, you know. And then they'll grab it and say, well, yeah, yeah, so-and-so, yeah, yeah, I used to go to church, yeah, when I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. And and then we'll have a little bit of a conversation. What am I doing? Watering. Now, this is the best one I got. I shared this uh, several years ago. I I would sit right over here on a Wednesday night just before our service started. So about two minutes till seven. Several years ago on a Wednesday night, here's a guy sitting right near where I was sitting. He was brand new, he and his wife, and they had a little child. And I came up there getting ready for the service to start. And when I came up to say, how you doing? You know what he said to me? He said, would you pray with me and lead me to salvation? I said, would you say that again? Because I couldn't believe it. And I prayed with him just before the service. I said, well, that's great. Now, that's a rarity. No, what does that tell me? A lot of people had already been working on him. Now, think about God. He's the great orchestrator. He knows where you live, who you're going to meet that day. He knows who needs what, when, where, how. Did you know that you have a part to play every day in somebody's salvation? Whether you're planting, whether you're watering, or whether you have the opportunity, pray with me right now. Is that good? So question, are you doing that or am I keeping my mouth shut? Because God wants us to talk. There are a lot of people that need him. How many hear me? Now, let me say this. Don't wait until perfection comes to your life before you share Jesus. You'll never share him. God uses imperfect people. And you know what? If you're still overcoming, welcome to the human race. Overcoming whatever. But you know what I found out? If you reach out to others, God reaches into you. And I always think about Job. God turned Job's problems around 
And when he prayed for his friends, he quit looking at himself and all of his mess. He started looking at others, praying for them. If you want God to work in your life, make it your passion every day. I'm, a, I'm one of those that, that, that is a Christ follower. I'm one of those. I'm, I'm going to share Jesus with somebody. How many, know, how many know you'll be a tagged person by the Father? And you'll have his smile because you'll have the same heart that he has. Number four, prepare yourself to share Jesus with people. Everybody good? 1 Peter 3.15, again, message paraphrase. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. So be ready. How do you be ready? Prepare yourself. Now, this takes me back to the fall of 1977. That was my first Bible school experience. And I share this in our class growth track. Um, this one professor, and I don't have time to tell the whole deal here. But he, he had us turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And he said, uh, those th- and, and King James is still in my head from way back in 1977. Um, those things that we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And our fellowship is with Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And the, and the um, uh, uh, professor said, now here's what comes out of you with passion. Things that you've seen, things that you've heard, things that you've experienced. And, and during that class, I think it was an evangelism class, he said, I want you to prepare yourself to share Jesus with other people. And we didn't have the internet and all that. We had a pen and piece of paper. He gave everybody a three by five index card, passed them out in the class. He said, now I want you to put only one paragraph. Next time, everybody will spend several classes, whatever it takes for everybody to do it. I want you to come in front of the class and read your paragraph. I said, what kind of paragraph? He said, I want you in as few words as simply stated as possible to share what Jesus has done for you. Because that which we have seen, we have heard, we share with you. And so I did that. And, you know, that helped me, that helped me in the formative years of my life as, in, in Jesus to, to be ready. Because a lot of people, they don't say anything because they don't know what to say. So what has Jesus done for you? That's what comes out of you with passion. You don't need a three by five index card today because now your church church don't even have pockets on it, guys. And you might get it lost in all that stuff you have in your purse, ladies. But you do have a you do have a phone. Probably everybody in the room's got a phone, and you got a note section. Just put a paragraph in the note section. Write it down. Think about it. You may change it. You know, I changed mine a dozen times before I finally figured it out. But you know what? Just get a paragraph that, that easily encapsulates what Jesus has done for you. And then read it. Read it. Read it regularly. Read it enough that you kind of know it. If you'll do that, you'll be surprised at how many times you'll be able to share that just in a simple flow of conversation with somebody. How many hear me? Uh, one of my uh, friends, Bruce McDonald, I've been all over the world with him. I've been to Africa, all, uh, uh, several parts of Africa. Africa, a bunch of times we have 12 churches there. And I've been all over India. That's what I was trying to say with him. And uh, we had lots of times to talk. And uh, Bruce was, uh, was a Catholic before he met the Lord. But he had a deep experience with Jesus because he got a revelation that he was going to hell if he didn't get saved. He didn't get right with God. He knew. He knew. And he was, a, he was an astute businessman. He uh, really was a very wealthy businessman. Came to the Lord and then eventually uh, became a, a missionary and uh, he's, I don't know how many thousands of churches are under his tutelage right now. But uh, I'm endeared to Bruce. But we would have conversations. And here's one thing. I'll never forget this conversation. He said, you know, I've always had a passion. And he had, did have an evangelistic thrust to his ministry. He was an apostle um, by call. But, you know, here's, he said, I learned in the Catholic catechism after I got saved. 
And he was in his 30s when he came to the Lord. He said, I, I learned three little principles. And, you know, I, when he said it, I wrote it down and I never forgot it because it was so simple, it was profound. He said, if you want to share Jesus with people and really want to be influential with the gospel, number one, make a friend. Be, make a friend with someone. You know, just learn to talk to people and be interested in them. Secondly, then be a friend. Sometimes a person just needs an ear that will listen to them and their struggles and hardships. Make a friend, be a friend. And then he says, share Jesus when God opens the opportunity. He said, I've just done that all my life. And look at the ministry God gave me. It's just amazing. So, you know, in your feeble attempts, you say, well, pastor, I, may, I don't think I'm ready to do this. Well, you know, maybe you're not. But you know what? Uh, anything I know about change, leadership, God using anybody, you got to do it and fail first. And the people that succeed are the people that do something and fail, but they just don't quit because they didn't do it right. Is that true? So maybe you've never shared Jesus because you're afraid or you don't know what to say or you're not a pastor man. You, you, you shouldn't be me. You don't want to be me. You want to be you. But you know what? God can use you where you are. How many want to make a commitment today? I mean, y'all really. Our world's going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. And I'm so concerned about the people that are unconcerned about their spiritual state. God's number one passion is people. God's number one passion is that one person that's strayed, that one person that's not, that's not going to heaven when they die. He sees all these people in church. It's great that we know the Lord. What are we doing with the ones that don't know him that we, we pile around with every week on, on the job, in our homes, in our families? Let me encourage you to do this. How about ask the Lord every day for opportunities to be a person that plants, be a pl person that waters, or a person that sometimes you'll get an opportunity to pray with people. How many would be willing to be one of those people? Would you be willing to do that? You would? And then let me encourage you to do this. Get your phone out today. And want you to make a list of people that you pray for every day. Three things when I pray for people to come to Jesus. Number one, jot this down. It's not in the notes. John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father himself draw him. I've got eight, ten people I prayed for this morning. Before I came here, I got up early this morning and I named their name before God every day. And I say, Father, I believe John, John 6, 44, you're drawing them to Jesus. I believe you're drawing that person to salvation. I believe that, that they're not having fun doing what they're doing right now without Christ. I believe that you're drawing them. Secondly, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, write it down. In whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. I say, Satan, take your hands off the minds, this person's mind in Jesus' name. Lord, may they be open to receive the gospel. Thirdly, thirdly, Matthew 9, 37, 38. Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. So say, God, I'm available, but I pray for this person. Send people across their path today who know you, who, uh, who walk in wisdom, and who can be that person that plants, the person that waters. And Lord, let it happen every single day. I do it this way. God can use anything to be a person that influence, a, a thing that influences someone for Jesus. Jesus, I say, I don't care if it's a bumper sticker, a billboard, an overheard conversation, a periodical they're reading in a waiting room. It's something they happen to peruse on Facebook, the internet, anywhere they are, something they hear on the radio, something they hear in a song, anything about the gospel, let it tag them. Those are laborers. How many hear me? And I say, Lord, I'm expecting them to go to heaven when they die because they'll change. Let it come to pass in Jesus' name.